about to say good morning, and then I realize it's the wrong time of day. Good afternoon still, right? I never know, like, the whole, like, afternoon, evening thing. It's weird, but let's assume it's afternoon still. Uh, okay, my, my name's Joel. Uh, some of you have met me. I'm uh, a lead pastor of Encounter Church in Washington, D.C. Uh, Restore actually has been a, a crucial part of that work. Uh, your pastor, Aaron, he actually seeds on the management team of Encounters, so I'm, I'm in contact and I have like a huge heart for this community. I love you guys. Uh, and I'm, I'm honored to be uh, here with you so that, uh, you know, Aaron can enjoy, uh, guess, a Father's Day barbecue or something. I don't know what's going on with him, but, you know, uh, happy. Since I don't have kids, I feel like I should work extra hard today, so it's like, you know, honor those who have gone before me. Uh, all right, uh, we just got this series uh, that we're doing in uh, Encounter around this particular verse of the Bible. And uh, because it was literally like we spent like eight weeks on like these two verses, uh, what I like to do that day was like uh, every Sunday before I would start preaching, I would make everybody get, get up and kind of recite the verse with me. And my excuse was, even if you don't listen to a word I said, at least you're walking out with some Bible and like you got the verse in you, right? And because today I'm actually talking about the scriptures, I figure we would do that together. So I'm going to invite you to stand up for just a minute. And if it's awkward, welcome to the club. Um, and, and we're going to read um, just a few verses. This is uh, Psalm Y19. I'm going to start, uh, we're going to start reading together on verse 9. So like the verse should be on the screens and you can follow along. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Pray with me for one second. Father, we, um, we come before you today um, believing that in a mysterious way that goes beyond what we can understand, there's life in your words. And that as we approach this moment, as we enter into it, that you meet us here somehow. There's life in these words that we're reading. And there's something you want to do in our lives today. So God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my Lord and my Redeemer. Thank you, God. You guys can have a seat. So if you don't get anything else, you had some Bible today at church. Isn't that great? Um, All right, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had... A conversation of some sort that affected you emotionally in some way. Like you talk with somebody and maybe they were like a little bit rude to you or maybe they said something and it just messed with the rest of your day. Um, yesterday, uh, I was, no, two days ago, on Friday. On Friday, I was just working uh, in, in the office and I, was, I, I like to have like podcasts basically running on all day long. 
And I was listening to this podcast by a guy named Dave Chang. I don't know if you guys have heard about him. He's a famous chef. He actually is from the Virginia area. He has a restaurant in D.C. called Momofuku, but he has like all these big restaurants all over the world now, actually. And, and this particular podcast was, was kind of heavy because it was right after uh, the death of Anthony Bourdain, and he was a friend of his. And so he does this whole podcast about his own experience and his own struggle with depression. And it's like really, it's like really raw and he was talking about it. And I have had my struggles with depression. So I'm listening to this podcast and I'm just almost like, it sounds bad to say, almost like PTSD type deal. Like, like I'm listening to it and it's like all these feelings and all these emotions and experiences that I had like come back. And what I realized is that it had really profoundly just like soured my mood for the whole day. And I was like angry the rest of the day. And like my wife gets to work. He's like, what's up with you? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I'm just angry. He's like, well, I didn't do anything to you. So stop being angry at me, right? You know how that goes. And, 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 and it, was, it was this weird thing. And, and I'm trying to think, okay, what's wrong? What, why am I so upset? And I realized that it had something to do with how I felt out of listening to that. That wasn't a bad podcast. It wasn't anything that I shouldn't have listened. I don't think it was sinful in any way. I actually think it was, it was, it was a fascinating kind of like discussion about a very important issue, and yet it just affected me in a particular way. Have you ever also had this situation where like you've talked to somebody and he just like encouraged you and lifted up your moods and you had a conversation or you heard something and you walked out and you were like ready to go. Uh, we have these neighbors across the street uh, in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our block in, in D.C. And they run an organization called We Are Family that basically uh, distributes free groceries to senior citizens in our neighborhood. Like they get groceries donated and people come together and assemble them. And then kind of like once a month, we just like ride around the neighborhood delivering groceries. It's really cool. And my wife and I found out it, so we volunteered this one day. And the guy that leads this organization is this like... I don't know, he has to be, honestly, he has a young wife, but that dude, like, you know, he has seen, like, north of, like, 70, you can tell, or he's just, like, really, really white hair, and he just looks old, but anyway, he gets up, and, like, he's given us, like, these little, kind of, like, instructions before we're going out, and he just goes into this speech about how important it is what we're doing and how important it is our community is connected and it was like this this combination of like revival fire and like you know political rally and I don't know but like he and I wanted to clap I wanted to accept Jesus like it was oh my goodness it was awesome right so like the point I'm trying to make is like words matter in an incredibly important way. Like, one of the reasons why I became a preacher was because I believe in the power of the sermon. Like, I believe that words spoken aloud to a group of people can transform societies, uh, can ignite movements of social and civil change in our society. They can also gather up a round of people and bring out the deepest, darkest, more ugliest feelings they have and mobilize it for damage and destruction. Words have an incredible power. I say this because in the scriptures, there's this vision all throughout the Bible that words are important. And in the scriptures, the emphasis is particularly in the word of God. And then if you go and read over and over and over 
so many themes in the scriptures is this idea like the words that you find here have a profound power that can change your life. So I, if, if I go back to this psalm, like Psalm 119, uh, out of probably all the psalms in the scriptures, is this long, like a love letter to, to the words of God. And it's, it's really long, and all over again, the guy goes all on and on of how the words of God can change a life and can change the world. So just in this section that I picked for this morning, for this afternoon, uh, he goes, as he says, he's, he's like a young person stay on the path of purity. He says, by living according to your words. As I seek you with all my heart, do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. He comes going on and on and on. And, and what I want you to notice here for a second is the way he's talking about the words of God, it's usually not how we consider or talk about this book. For the most part, depending on, I don't, I don't know what your experience with the Bible is, but like, say for example, you grew up in more of like a fundamentalist conservative background, right? The words of God was basically like the excuse that your parents used for you not to have any fun. Right? Like, you can do this and can do this and can do this because it's in the Bible somewhere. I don't know the verse right now, but shut up and stop. Like, let me watch TV, right? Like, we, your parents will pick up whatever. And, and we grew up, a lot of us, with this idea that, that the Bible is just basically these really outdated groups of, you know, rules and regulations that are, like, so stuck in the past, right? For some of us... Uh, there are things in the scriptures that we don't like that maybe reflect the best thinking that people had at that time or that may show kind of like just the reality of humanity at the moment. And when we read it now, it just sounds antiquated or even in a certain degree just like wrong. And, and, and there is like this like kind of like we repel it, right? A lot of times part of the problem is that the scriptures are used the wrong way and are used to hurt people and are used to justify injustices and crimes. Not that that's not happened at all this week on the news in any way, shape, or form, right? So, so like we, so we live in this world where like this, this word that we, that we see is so misused and so mischaracterized and, and what ends up happening is that we like strip it off of all of the power that it can have and we just don't know what to do with it. So like in my case, for example, I remember growing up and basically hearing this idea that, that the scriptures were the word of God. And, and for some reason, what it felt like that meant was that when I needed to talk to God, I would pray, and then like somehow I would read the Bible, like the answer would just present itself, right? And like you're a kid and you're like, you know, like, I want to ask this girl out and like, you know, says like, you know, anything that you want to do, like go and do it in the name of the Lord. I'm like, yes, you know, like, like we, we have these weird, like we don't know what to do with it. So uh, what I want you to, to just consider this, this afternoon is what if we stop thinking about the Bible in those ways? What if we stop thinking about the Bible as just rules and regulations? And what if we stop thinking about the Bible just as like, 
information that somehow we need to consume or we, do, we don't know what to do with. And, and what if we start thinking about the Bible a little bit more in the way that um, David thinks about the scriptures in the psalm that we're reading? And how is that? I would argue that the psalm is here, if we were to sum up what he's saying about the word of God, he's looking at the scriptures as this source of life. And that's just like really weird to say, you know, because what does that mean? Okay, that if you read the Bible five times a week, or if you read the Bible like, you know, for like 15 minutes every morning, like somehow like you're going to become a better Christian or like you're going to sin less, you're going to be like a more loving person. I, I don't think I'm saying that. What I'm saying is that the view that you see in the Psalms and the view that you see actually for most people like wrestling with the scriptures is that there is this story and there is this way of seeing reality that's taking place in the world around us, right? We live, for example, right now we live in, in America in a time where there's a story about what uh, like the good life is supposed to be, right? And, and it has something to do with, you know, a, a number in a bank account. It has something to do about, uh, you know, a school district where kids can go. And it has something to do about the number of bedrooms in our house. And it has something to do about the type of car that we drive. Or it has something to do with how many vacations we can take and how many different countries we can go to. And, you know, how many, like, weird letters we can put in the back of our name, in our title. Like, like we, we live in this world where it's this vision of what life should be, right? And what happens is that just along there, this vision, if, if you enter into the sort of scriptures, there's this other vision about what the world is. We see the world as a place where there is pain and loss and suffering and there's people that are oppressed and people that are marginalized and in the midst of all of that there is a God that's taking all of those things and moving all of those things along towards a better story and towards a better future and when I look at the Psalms what I see for example in the life of David is a guy that has both things he's like uh, wrestling and struggling with like these life that he's leading that to a certain degree is a great life like the dude's like good looking has like seven wives like has like men that obey him he's a king he has a house like he's living that part of the story right i'm not saying that having seven wives is a good thing i'm just saying like the dude had a lot of wives okay it's in the bible read it okay so anyway so you know he, he has his life right and, and in the middle of his life what happens that he also hits the other part of reality that a lot of times this vision of the good life falls apart that a lot of times things are not how they're supposed to be you play by all the rules you do all the right things you go to school you study hard you work hard and things fall apart people betray you people leave you people go behind your back and hurt you you Get a call from the doctor and say, hey, we got your test results and we'd like to talk to you. Can you come in? Your spouse or your partner sits you down one evening and says, you know what? This isn't working for me anymore. You lose it all. 
you experience just the reality of life, that there is suffering, that we live in a world that, you know, in 2018, we're still experiencing struggles and racism and profound ethnic hatred and profound injustices all over the world. And we don't know what to do with those things. And this is, I think, the reality of most people. We live in this world where we don't know how to interpret reality and what to do with the world. And so what ends up happening is that, you know, we wake up every morning and we scroll through Twitter and we just see, like, all of it, right? Like, we see all the brokenness. Like, I, I was telling, like, I, I don't think I've ever been, like, living at a time where, like, every morning I was, like, afraid. Like, I get, like, CNN notifications on my phone. And I'm, like, afraid. I'm, like, what am I going to see today? Like, I'm not sure I want to check this, right? Because you don't know. Like, you really don't know. You wake up every morning, you don't know. And, and, and you scroll through the day, and at some point, somebody, you know, just spews out whatever they think. And then you're in a fight. And before you know it, it's, like, you know, 5.35 p.m. And you've barely done any work, but you need to, like, write that, like, seven-page Facebook comment to show that, like, big of that person how they're wrong about everything else. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, like, we live in a world, particularly today, that words carry this thing, this power, or this way in which it affects how we live our lives, how we think, how we feel, how we perceive the world around us. And, we, the, and, and the problem that we face is that we think, we, we don't see the long-term damage that words can do to our soul. But we also don't think of the long-term damage, the long-term benefits that good words can do to our soul. We live in a post-enlightenment world where we, that's me talking like that, it sounds just weird and kind of mystical and whatever, but you've probably experienced it. You've probably, you know, at some point say, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I've seen people say, okay, I'm, 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 off, I'm going off Twitter for like a week, right? And then they're like, life is so much different outside of Twitter. Like, people are nice. Like, I, I don't know what was doing, right? And, and we, we think of that, sometimes even we think about that, that about the news or, or books. Like, there is this sense in which words on both sides of the aisle have power to video. And, and the point I'm trying to make this morning is four followers of Jesus... And for even like before Jesus, people in the Old Testament, one of the things that they understood was that they have no control over the words that affect them negatively, right? Like, I'm a pastor, and I, I promise you, like, there's nothing that's more scary than somebody texting me, can we talk? Because you don't know never what's going to happen on the other end, right? It can be like, you know, I've gotten everything from like, okay, I just was diagnosed with cancer to like, you know, like we're leaving your church because of this and this and this to this happening. Like, like you never know. You really never know, right? And, and, and you really have no control over that. You cannot control the things that happen in the world. And but, well, I think that it might be a good thing to take a break every once in a while from the stream of news that we get. The reality is that we should probably be relatively informed. So... My point is, you're going through life, and all these words are coming at you. And there are words sometimes positive, but a lot of times they're negative words. And they're words about brokenness and injustice, and they may rise up all different sorts of emotions or feelings or thoughts in your life. You may get angry at 
people's hatred or bigotedness. I don't even know if that's a word. Or you may get angry at like your father-in-law that keeps saying that thing. Or like you just might get like sad or depressed. Like I got when I listen to this podcast about depression that reminds me of my own brokenness. And if that's all that's coming into your life, very little by little by little by little, you become more bitter, and you become more jaded, and you become a little bit less hopeful, and you become a little bit less joyful. And in the other hand, you say in the scriptures, the Bible talking about all sorts of things like the joy of the Lord. And it talks about this, this hope that the apostle, you know, Peter that we should be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us. And, and, and a lot of times I read this, I'm like, this just sounds weird. Like nobody goes through life like that, right? Nobody goes through life just like feeling joy or feeling hope. And what I think makes part of the difference, it's not that people just like wave a magic wand and like read five minutes of like a psalm or like read like, you know, I don't know like a couple chapters in the Gospel of John and all of a sudden like things are good. But this is what I would argue, that when people devote their lives not only to the broken story of the world where there is hate and there is abuse of power and there is brokenness and injustice of all different sorts, but when people also devote their lives to this other story, to the story of a God that moves in the midst of brokenness, to the story of a God that loves people and goes after people and forgives people and cares for people in spite of what they do. When you devote your story to your life to like the story of this Jesus that gives himself over for us, over the long term, you wake up five years later, you wake up ten years later, and all of a sudden you're seeing your life in a different way. And I think that that's how the scriptures can give us life. I don't think it's a magic wand. I don't think that if you read one, you know, one verse one morning, like all of a sudden it's going to change you. But when it becomes a habit, when it becomes a part of your life, when it's just like this steady stream, you wake up one day and you realize that your worldview starts changing a little bit. And you don't get as moved from the terrible news that you see or the terrible things that people see. Why? Because you think also telling this other story where it happened before. So how people were okay. And that doesn't mean that you don't fight for a better world. And that doesn't mean that you give up on trying to help the people that need help. But it means that you have a different view of the world. There was this uh, a rabbi psychologist from Bethesda called Edwin Friedman. And he talks about this idea that like, what we need in society today is being a non-anxious presence. And his idea was that we live in a world that everybody is anxious about everything. Like the way that people react, there's just this fear like the, the worst thing is always going to happen. And he was saying that the future of leadership is people that can look at the world and basically just be able to calm everybody down. <laughs> be like, we can figure this out. It's okay. And I would argue that one of the ways in which that happens is when we are connected and tethered to the story of the scriptures. 
So I don't think that you should read the Bible every day because somehow you're going to read the one psalm or the one verse or like the one thing that you need to know for your day is. I think that sometimes it happens. I don't think it can happen. I think sometimes it's a coincidence. And I think sometimes it's God moving. But this is what I do think. I do think that when you commit yourself and consistently spend time in the story, your worldview and your perception of the world is changed because you are receiving the life that can only be found in the story that God wants to tell us. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, who C.S. Lewis is. Uh, C.S. Lewis is, uh, you know, British writer and kind of like uh, apologist. And, and, and he has this phrase I've always found fascinating. He has this quote. He says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. What he's saying is this, we go through life thinking that most things are neutral. We go through life thinking that most things don't really matter. Like we think that there's really, really, really bad things, right? Like, you know, like you probably shouldn't have an affair. Like that's a bad thing, right? And on the other end, we think that there's like really, really, really good things. Kind of like, you know, like Mother Teresa going to, you know, going uh, overseas and just giving her life for the world. And in the midst, we think that most stuff in life is just kind of like neutral in the middle. That book that you read, those news that you read, that kind of like little squabble that you get on social media with somebody, whatever, most stuff is like, eh, doesn't affect you one way or another. On the other hand, like the, the little good things, the dinners with friends, the times where you're just having, able to have like a good conversation with somebody. The times where you're just able to like encourage somebody or help somebody, even in little small ways. We tend to think that most life is there and it's just like blah. You know, it's not that big of a deal one way. It's not that big of a deal the other way. What Lewis is saying is that all of it matters and matters profoundly. And, and, and that's kind of like the liberty of holiness. And, and, and the way we need to, to kind of like think about it is today just in terms of words. What you're reading, what you're paying attention to, what you're feeding to your mind and feeding to your psyche and feeding to your soul, is it something that is giving you life? Or is it something that's just making you more bitter and more jaded and angrier and just sinking you more and more into despair or anger or whatever it is? And the argument of the scriptures is that one of the reasons why we have this book that's been just like thousands of years of people just wrestling and struggling and following God is so that the one, at least one thing that we read will give us life and would give us encouragement and would give us hope. When uh, the people of Israel leave Egypt, they go through a desert and they're about to enter the promised land. God tells them, 
This is like, well, you're going to go in and like, you're going to build your houses and whatever. And he says, like, the biggest danger is that you're going to forget about me. And then the, one of the instructions that he gives them for, that they wouldn't forget about him is this. This is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. God was telling the people of Israel there's this, this, there's this connection between how consistent of a relationship you have with these words and the type of life that you live and the type of outlook that you have on that life. Now, hundreds or thousands of years after that, um, this Jewish carpenter enters the scene. And the Gospel of John um, opens up with these lines. He talk, starts talking about Jesus and he says that in the beginning, he says, was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He's saying the Word was life. And, and, and at some point he says, and the Word says, became flesh and dwelt among us. And what the Apostle John was saying is, was like, you know, to a certain degree, Jesus was the ultimate representation of the life that's found in God. So when you are attracted to the words of Jesus, when you're dwelling on the words of Jesus, when you're going over and over again over the things that Jesus said and you're reading about the things that Jesus said, what are you doing? You are basically just injecting into your psyche and into your heart the life of God. It's not about trying to prove or disprove how old the earth is. And it's not about trying to argue about some weird, like, you know, regulation about whether you have to eat selfish or not. No. It's about that. that there's stuff like that in the Bible. Believe me. Okay? Okay, side note for a second. Um, I used to work in a church in Annapolis. And my pastor was kind of like out there a little bit. And... Like, he can, like, tell us to tie the box and try to make, like, catchy things. So he did this whole series about, like, the law and the gospel, kind of, like, how, how they're different. And he titled it, God Hates Shrimp, which is really weird. But just because there's that one, like, weird verse in the Old Testament about how you shouldn't eat shellfish, right? And, like, he bought the domain GodHatesShrimp.com. It's, like, this really, really weird thing. And with this whole campaign. And years later, like, people would come to a church and realize it was, ah, you are the God hates shrimp people. Like it was this whole thing and like became a brand. Anyway, God doesn't hate shrimp. Completely side note. I have no idea why I shared that story. Going back to what I was saying, right? My, my point is, can we look at the words of God? Can we look at the words of Jesus? Can we look at the story that, that's in the Bible as the source of life? for our souls and for our hearts and for our minds. And my friends, I would argue that's why it's important to dwell in the scriptures. Now, 
I would also say that I do believe that God meets us there somehow. Uh, when, um, yeah, a couple of examples. Um, before we kind of like went into the journey of planting this church, I was in this weird time where uh, I, I was kind of like, I had resigned my previous church job, and I was starting this residency in Northern Virginia in like September. But between April and September, I didn't have a job, and I really, really needed a job. So I started applying to anything, and one of the things you find out is that like pastors don't have that many like marketable skills outside of like ministry. It's like nobody was hiring me, right? And, and, and you start freaking out because like, my wife and I are looking at our body and our bank account. Okay, how are we going to make this work? You need to get a job. Like any job at this point, right? Like anything. Uh, if I was a good driver, I probably would have become an Uber driver. I'm a terrible driver. So I would probably get in like bad start, but bad start race, right? So we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And I'm just like, honestly, like in this like, m- like process of like anxiety and anguish and like how am I going to make this work? And this, this weird thing happened that kind of like, uh, I, the, the thing that I was reading at the time were kind of like kid around Psalm 23. And you're probably familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall know one, right? And, and at the same time that it happened, I'm, I promise I'm not making this up, but at the same time that it happened, I'm also reading this book uh, by like Mark Batterson, who's a pastor in D.C. He has this book called The Circle Maker. And, and at some point in the book, he gets actually to talking about Psalm 23. And like the next day, I'm actually listening to a sermon from another pastor in like Denver that has nothing to do with this. And he's like an old sermon that I'm just kind of like catching up. And guess what? He talks about Psalm 23. And, and, and they all kind of like talk about this, this, this final line in the psalm. Uh, if, you, if you remember the psalm, at, at the very end, he says, um, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord for, for many days or forever and ever, depending on, on the translation you're reading. Now, what I found out in the middle of that was that that line, follow me, in Hebrew, is the same term that the Hebrew writers would use to talk about being chastened by their enemies. So like when your enemies were going after you, when the armies were going after you, you were being followed. That same term, that's the same word that the psalmist chooses to use about God's goodness and mercy. And I, I think like in one of the sermons, like the guy says, like, the psalmist is saying, surely your goodness and mercy are going to chase me down until they catch me. And I was in this moment where I felt the goodness and mercy of God so far away from my life. So far away from my life. And hearing this, like reading it in the scripture and just hearing it in all these ways, I felt like God was talking to me. Like God was saying, you're going to be okay. I'm a good God who cares about his kids. And I'm going to take care of you and my goodness and my mercy are going to catch up to you. I tell you that story because I'm not sure that happens if I don't make it a habit to go back to the words of God day after day after. And guess what? Before I get there, before I get to that one incredible moment, I've been reading the Bible for months and nothing. You know saying? It's these weird stories about like, you know, civil wars in like ancient Israel, that do nothing for me, right? But then, then I get to this moment 
for God meets me there. And I promise you, if you devote your lives to the scriptures, God will meet you there. Might not be every day, might not be every week, might not be every month, but I believe, I sincerely believe that when you need it most, God's going to catch up to you. But it only happens when you devote yourself to this thing. Um, um, Aaron asked me to, to mention this. I think you guys are doing this. Is, by the way, this is really cool. Where is your graphic design? This is awesome. So anyway, um, Aaron wanted to mention this. Be- because Restore cares so much about this and wants you to be tethered to the life that God has in the scriptures, they actually came up with a reading and the idea of the reading plan is just kind of like get, be immersed in the scriptures and give you something to read every day. And some of this stuff is going to be weird. Some of this stuff is going to make no sense. Some of, some of this stuff is going to be like offensive to you, I promise, because that's how the Bible usually works. But what if you take up God and his word for two months? Well, I guess like a month now because we're almost done for, you, to June, for a month and a half, right? What, what if you pledge for this, you know, June and July, to inhabit this world, to dwell in this world, to become familiar with these people and these characters and these names and these places, and just see what God does there in your midst. Um, one of my, um, one of my, my, my favorite, uh, fictional characters is uh, Coach Taylor. I don't know how many people are familiar with, with Coach Taylor, right? And I think, like, Coach Taylor can, like, you know, give a pep talk to, like, a person dying of cancer and, like, they would get cured and, like, go win state, right? Like, he's that awesome, right? And, and I got, I came across this really cool uh, mashup of, like, some of the moments where he uses his words to speak life into the people that are around him. I don't know if we can, we can show that and then we'll, we'll finish up.
It doesn't sound weird to say, but I think that most of us live lives in this kind of like in between. We have good days and we have bad days. But I, I have this sense that more and more, we're having more bad days than good days. And I don't know how much that's just like the outside and what's going on in the world and how much it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> but I think that in the midst of all that, God wants to give us the courage and the life that we need. And, and it might be like a sacrilegious comparison, but I almost feel like sometimes, you know, the Holy Spirit is kind of like Coach Taylor. He just wants to like get you to get up and pull forward. And the way in which he does that is through his word. And over and over, he just wants to give you the energy that you need. He wants to give you the hope that you need to get up and take the next step. And give you the hope that you need to get through the day, no matter how hard it is. And the invitation to that is for all of us. It's found in the words of God. This is why I believe that reading the scriptures is important. Uh, there's a scene in the Gospel of John where Jesus has become really, really popular. And, you know, the crowds are gathering up. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts making a lot of, like, really controversial statements, right? One of the statements is talking about how, like, you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, like, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God. And no one understands what he's talking about, so people are freaking out, right? And people start leaving. And there's this moment where Jesus is kind of, like, just, like, disappointed almost. Like, he, like everybody has left. And, and, and when you read the passage, it says that Jesus turns around to his disciples and he's like, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter answers, this is in John chapter 6, verse 68. See, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter is saying, where else are we going to go? There's nobody else that talks like you talk. There's nobody else that's sharing the things that you're sharing. And my friends, in this book, with all of its, you know, questions and things that we wrestle to understand and grasp, I believe that in this book are the words of eternal life that Jesus has. And there's no other place where we can find that. Where else are we going to go? And I believe that you and I need that life. And the invitation of Jesus is an invitation to inhabit his words so we can receive that life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that in this book we get to read about people wrestling with you and struggling with you and losing hope and losing courage and regaining it and people being trapped in, in sin and despair and brokenness and being lifted up and tethered to life through you. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Restore who probably just like I do and just like anybody else do, that's desperately need words of life and my desire and my prayer for them God is that that we will receive that life
this just give yourselves over to you, as we give ourselves over to the story, as we inhabit the words of Scripture, that that life would meet us where we need it the most. Name of Jesus, I pray.